Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. I am a male addict in recovery and have been sober since discovery in February. I have a full daily recovery schedule. In my group's meetings and therapy, recently attached theory or recently attachment theory has been mentioned. Can you please explain this? Can you also please explain Thanos so I can work it correctly? Okay. So let's start with attachment. Attachment. Okay, and I'm theory. sitting here desperately looking up Thanos because I know I know what it's it is. It's a check-in. Yeah, it's the check-in. It's the, the I, I will look up the what it means. Somebody will okay. probably throw so a message. I'll let you take but, but let's two. start, let's start with what the okay. attachment theory so, is this is a very basic understanding of how human beings work and it's also true that the way we learn to build to be safe in intimacy and to turn to other people for help is in the first three years of life we learn something what we call basic trust and basic trust is earned by the caregivers when I feel that no matter what I do, you're going to respond to me. So Dr. Spock was wrong. The more frequently you respond to a child, whether they're crying or you pick them up and say, coochie, coochie, coo, or, you know, the more you engage them, the healthier it is, the more attached they are, especially if they call out to you. They need to learn that if I call out, someone will be there. And what happens is over time, that becomes part of their belief system. So addicts, have not had that experience. They, they lack trust. And many of us addicts, you know, will say, well, why call somebody for help when I can just drink? Why reach out to another person on a bad day when I can go have sex with a stranger? So we don't, we didn't gain the kind of attachment that leaves us trusting that others will support us, help us and respond to us. I grew up in an environment with a lot of craziness. My mother was mentally ill, and most of what was going on was about my parents and what their needs were. What I didn't learn was my own importance in that environment. And while I don't need you to pay attention to me every minute when I'm 40, I do need you to pay attention to me all the time when I'm four. And what happens is, is people come out of that, those environments, and they never really learn the meaning of others comforting me, others soothing me. And especially if I let you know I need something, you will respond to me. What I learned in my environment is um, you're on your own. If bad things happen, you need to go into fantasy or disappear in a book or something because no one's going to make it better. And you need to learn how to make yourself feel better on your own because people are going to not be available or yell at you. And why would you want to reach out in a, hoping for support and have no one show up? Because I got to tell you, if you reach out for love and support and no one shows up a couple of times, if you're a smart kid, you say, what's wrong with this scenario that I hurt so much? Oh, I get it. It's that I'm reaching out. And if I just didn't reach out, I wouldn't hurt. And so young children, as they do, think it's their fault. So we walk around as addicts throughout life thinking, I'm not going to reach out. What's the point of reaching out? I better do this on my own. The problem is that human beings are not meant to comfort, soothe, and stabilize themselves on their own. That's why it's so important for us to be in pair bonds and community so that we can support each other. 
addicts tend to have attachment issues and you see this because they don't turn to people or the people they turn to are not are, are anonymous or unavailable or they don't turn to to meaningful support i'll give you one more example when my dog passed away um and i had a wonderful dog Caminus, i had an 180 pound dog so when he left you missed him you couldn't help but notice and I was very, very sad. And I went on Facebook and I said, you know, here's a picture of my dog and love my dog. And, and what happened was people came back to me and they said, oh, I'm so sorry. That must be difficult. I lost my dog last year. I saw you guys together. Did that take away my sadness? No, I still missed my dog. But there was something grounding, stabilizing that I knew I wasn't alone that other people did come and soothe me. And while they couldn't take away my pain, I wasn't alone. And that is what attachment does. It leaves within me this belief that if I let other people know what's going on with me, they will respond and they will make me feel better. Addicts don't act that way. They look for behaviors and substances to make themselves feel better because they're not deeply attached to people. How's that? Is that a good one? But what well, is then, Thanos? Can you help with that? Well, one? I can, but I want to tag on to what you're saying too. So Troy Love does extraordinary work on attachment style and wounds. And I put posted in the chat uh, both um, uh, some information on, you can, you, he, we literally just talked about this stuff on last Wednesday on the webinar. So I, I shared the uh, link to go to the previously recorded. He does a men's group every Friday on sex and relationship healing. Tammy, can you point to your right when you say that? So you can say, oh, sex and relationship healing is right behind me. No, that's oh. your, okay. Well, yeah, see, they're lap. backwards. Right. Yeah. So. so there it is, so, by the way. Yeah. Just in case so on sexandrelationshiphealing.com, um, you will find Troy Love does alternating Thursdays for betrayed partners. He does attachment wounds, he, betrayal wounds, absolutely. But, you know, neglect, abandonment, you know, whatever. But for men on Fridays, every Friday he does um, a drop-in group. So these are safe places where you can go talk to him. He's got a Finding Peace workbook, lots of resources. Th this has been so useful even, you know, for me to be able to identify like a couple months ago, I was sharing my abandonment wound got poked like completely. And I was like, oh, that's my abandonment wound. And rather than going, well, I was able to go, that's my abandonment wound. What do I need to do to take care of it? And like Dr. Rob was just saying, I needed to connect with people. I needed to do what I needed to do to take care of myself. Me thinking about it and figuring it out on my own. I mean, I was able to name it, which was helpful, but you know, we heal in community. And so uh, we have to learn to attach I get calls all the time. I had two of them today where it was somebody and I could just tell that they were just going to think about all of this and decide on their own and everything. And I thought, call me back in six months because it's going to be just as bad. So, um, so really please lean into, and I hear that you've got a recovery group. I think you're muted, Dr. Rob, but you know, it says you've, you're still muted. You're still I'm talking there. to my husband who just walked out. Oh. That's why I wanted to. It's like, welcome home. Nice to see you. He's, you know, <laughs> leave the room, you know, like, so sorry. Okay. That's all good. But anyway, so, um, and then Thanos. So I, I put in the chat, um, uh, but uh, it is feeling, share with your partner a feeling you have. You may use a list of feelings if it would help you to identify them. Early on in recovery, super helpful to have the chart. 
Affirmations. Affirm your partner for something he or she has done. Needs. State a need you have today, not necessarily one that you will be met by your partner. So remember that it doesn't, it isn't like you're asking them just to um, show up and take care of you. Ownership. Take responsibility and apologize for something you have said or done. Struggles. Uh, sobriety. Here you have an opportunity to tell your partner the status of your struggles, sexual sobriety recovery today, sobriety date, general struggles, etc. Be specific, but not graphic. So that is on the Hope Counseling Center. Garrett Irby, um, uh, uh, who has, um, uh, who is in Dr. Rob's peer group, you know, is a big person in the Thanos daily check-in. Yes, keep it simple, but do those things. And that's a guide for how to do a check-in. If you could just go through F-A-N-O-S, just that part, can you- I feeling... did, it's in the chat. Okay, great. Thank you. Yes. Feelings, affirmations, um, uh, needs, ownership, and struggles or sobriety. So, yeah. So, but it's in the chat. Feel free to take a snapshot of it um, if you're in the group or just use F-A-N-O-S and Google search it and you'll come up with that. So, okay. Next question I put in the answered. Hello, Dr. Rob. Is there a significant overlap between sex addict population and pick artists who pursue sex from women? Are they dealing with similar psychological issues? Cam, cam, came across a book, No More Nice Guys, and it echoes similar behavior as sex addicts like compulsive sex, porn-induced erectile dysfunction, and so on. Thanks. What is a pick artist? I'm sorry. I don't know. It's probably I, a misspelling, I guess. Okay. I don't know that. But I don't know. Who pursues sex uh, from women? So I don't okay. know. Okay, I, I can. I mean, that is the sort of key point of okay. this question. So maybe maybe if they write in the chat, here's what a pick artist yeah. or whatever. We'll, yeah, we'll, thank you. Because I'll oh, pick I, up if someone wrote that. Oh, okay. Well, now does that make more sense? Okay. So it's funny because I just did this podcast and uh, the question came up, what's the difference between someone who cheats and someone who's a sex addict? And, you know, I wrote about this a lot in Out of the Doghouse because there is a significant difference. But I had to think a lot about what do you call, like, what's wrong with someone who cheats? What do you, I, I know what you call a sex addict. They have an addiction. They have an attachment. Issue. You know, I know what's up with sex addicts. But what is a cheater? Why do they cheat? And the, the definition or the way I think about it is that people who cheat lack emotional maturity, if I, and I'll tell you what emotional maturity is in a relationship, wherever I go in the world, I'm thinking about not just me, but you. Um, I've been married for 20 years. When I go to, this is absolutely true. When I go to Macy's to buy a shirt for myself, I'm always thinking to myself, gee, would my husband like that shirt? Would they, you know, what about my sister? So I have people in mind that never leave me because where I go, they are with me. So um, people who are pickup artists are immature, because they, well, if they're single, if they're in a relationship, because they're basically disregarding the most important lesson of being in a relationship, which is, I don't think of myself first in any of the decisions I make. I think of us first. And that is mature. That is mature to, we call it having someone in mind. So when I go to do things for work, for example, I have Tammy in mind. Do I need to figure this out on my own or do I need to talk to Tammy about it? Or I don't make decisions by myself. I do it. I mean, I might. But if it occurs to me that this might not be good for my working relationship with Tammy, then I either don't do it or I reach out to her. I don't just think I'll go off by myself and do whatever. That is immaturity. 
And especially like, oh, well, if she doesn't know, it'll be fine. That's immaturity. So the way I think, now I don't know what a pickup artist is to me. That's a sort of, I think of a seventies lounge bar with, you know, with, with hair and shirts open and, you know, all that stuff, but Big someone who, right. I mean, also I think the other word for mature is needful. You know, I look like I have it together, but I'm actually desperately seeking someone to comfort me, make me feel better, make me feel important. So um, I don't know what a pickup artist, what that means or where they're coming from, but sex addicts um, universally have consequences to our lives that reduce the functioning of our life. So I don't know if picking someone up occasionally or regularly is an addiction. I, that depends on the person. But I can tell you the person who's picking people up who's married, the person who's picking people up at work, the person who's undermining, the person who spends six hours picking people up when they should be home with their kids, when your sexual or drinking or gambling behavior, whatever it is, starts to interfere with the things that you value, the things that you know are important on some level, that's addiction especially if you've been caught <laughs> because you would think, well, if I got in trouble for this, I'm not going to do it again. That's not how addicts think. Addicts think, how can I do this and not get caught? Um, I'll give you a quick example. I had a guy had a porn problem. His wife was very angry about this. It didn't go again with her beliefs, her morals. She didn't know he was doing it. So he said, oh, okay, I understand that bothers you. And then he would stay an hour late at work every day to look at the porn. And that wasn't really dealing with the issue that wasn't keeping his partner in mind that wasn't mature that was how can i just ignore that and go over here and do what i want um i don't think that healthy people think that way um at least not on so not so frequently that we end up screwing up our lives Tammy, so on the well no great um on the uh out of the doghouse we will have a work group starting um, on that particular topic, watch for the details or um, should be January, but more will be revealed. So, so on, on the seekingintegrity.com site. So wait, yes, this one on seekingintegrity.com. Um, did I get it the right direction? I did. Well, as a matter of fact, I, I spent my Thanksgiving holiday working on what is going to be the doghouse series. Fantastic. And well, I'm excited about it yeah. because teaching men what women go through when they're cheated on and how to repair that is something most men have no idea how to do so that's what i hope to do is teach them what empathy is what compassion is what what thinking of your partner first looks like and that's what that, i'm looking forward to that course actually okay so the next one formal disclosure was october 8th how long should i wait for my sa husband to really get going on recovery work he has stopped the behaviors porn massage prostitutes but seems to be very slow on meetings and other work he sees his csat once a week i'm getting frustrated waiting for him to embrace the recovery process and do uh and do things to rebuild trust Okay, so Tammy, I want you to start with this one because oh, you get so many phone calls. I get calls so just many like phone calls, this. but I get so I like I feel it in my body because I get so frustrated. It's like he should have been doing this stuff before disclosure. I'm sorry, uh, you like all of, he should be on the recovery path. So, and he's making it harder for himself. You don't get the benefits of being in recovery when you're sitting on the fence and going, I, you know, I, there's a lot of great CSAT therapists, but going to see a CSAT once a week for 50 minutes and that's all you do. 
how are you going to deal with things that are decades old? Like Dr. Rob was talking about, like, this is old stuff. He learned as a child that the world wasn't safe. You're looking at decades old stuff and you're going to go change things in 50, 50 minutes once a week. He stopped the behavior. That's the beginning. That's well, addressing the symptom that's and that's saying. good. Well, that's and I kind of wondered about that too, but anyway, but that's abstinence. That is not recovery. Um, so, so if I mentioned earlier, you know, we've got the couples healing from a betrayal workshop that will start again, probably in January, but it's like, you know, Dr. Rob just talked about, you know, uh, keeping the other person in mind. What do you need to do? I don't blame you for being frustrated. I mean, honest to goodness, I just absolutely don't blame you for being frustrated. So um, what do you need to do to set a healthy boundary for you? Be, if he's not showing up, you know, I, it, yeah, I mean, therapeutic to, um, uh, uh, separation, like what, what do you need to do until he steps into doing what you, you need to see him do to rebuild trust? That's my thought. Yeah, I would add just a little bit to that. I would say that if my partner was seeing a CSAT once a week or, or, or someone who really understood sex addiction and I felt they were not really not doing very like not going to meet some basic stuff, not going to meetings, not what else they stopped doing uh, other work like like um, workbooks or going to some of the classes. The drop-in groups. Yeah, right. I would probably call the CSAT there and say, you know, I am really in comfortable. I don't mean to interfere with the therapy, but I got to tell you, maybe there are things you're not hearing about. Not like a, um, a desperate person who is, you know, but really as a thoughtful, I don't know what to do about this because I feel like I'm getting information that doesn't make me feel safe. And, you know, would I be able to come to a session with you guys and talk about my concerns? Could I drop you a note that you could read in therapy that he could hear? Uh, ultimately, uh, the answer to the question, how long should I wait, is not more than five minutes. Because if this person wants to, I don't think that they understand what they have to lose. You know, Tammy, I was doing again this podcast, I was just like talking for an hour, so it's on my mind. One of the things that I said was, I think, and I don't mean to be insulting, but I think women are far too easy on us guys. I think you ladies are far too willing, even though we've cheated on you, to take us back in your beds take us back in your rooms, let us stay in the house. I mean, and one of the things I was talking about is there's there's not a lot an addict really responds to toward change. And I'll give you an example. You know, Tammy knows I've been doing this work for 25 years as a licensed person. And I have, of all the people I've seen come into treatment, and I'm talking about eight, 900 people that I've seen come into treatment over the years, 95% of them came in because a spouse said, I'm not putting up with this anymore. 5% of, of a thousand people came in because they wanted to be better people. Now, every addict I work with when I start treatment says, oh, you know, I'm here because I want to be a better person. But then I say, well, didn't you want to be a better person three years ago when you were seeing sex workers three times a week? Why are you here now if you just to be a better person? And well, my spouse found out, well, this happened at work. So until there are consequences of some kind, um, addicts will continue doing what they want. And our greatest fear because of attachment issues is abandonment. It is without question our greatest fear. You see these intervention shows, you see the issue which that drives someone to treatment it is the fear of the loss of a relationship. I got to tell you folks that the thing that brought me into the field of psychology and then later addiction was that um, 
people were dying of AIDS and HIV, and I wanted to help with that. And I thought that I would have a practice full of people with, you know, gay men or people struggling with HIV and all that. I had a practice full of, as I still do, of men who had cheated on their wives and their wives said, I'm done. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And they're looking at losing everything. And so they decided to come in. Inevitably, I talked to someone, well, I want to be a better person. I want to be a better father. Yeah, but why are you here? Well, because I got in trouble. So if you're not getting trouble at work and if you're able to pull it off elsewhere, I think spouses have an obligation to themselves to say, I'm not going to, I don't want any more lying. I, I don't want any more pain and I'm not going to drive you. Well, this is the other piece. I'm sorry. As a spouse, I'm not locking the bedroom door. I'm not shoving you out because I hope it will make a difference in what you're doing, whether you get well or not, that's up to you. But I am going to get you out of my bed and lock the door because I deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. And if I'm not being res respected or given dignity, then I don't want you in my bed. And it just so happens that that's the thing that often drives people into treatment. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, and by the way, if you tell that person to leave and they just continue what they're doing and they, they're giving you information which is you are not important enough for me to get well. And this family is not as important as my behavior. And that's when you call the lawyers because you have to protect yourself and your family. So anyway, I don't mean to go off the deep end, but I really would appreciate if your spouses would set more firm boundaries. Not I'm leaving you, but you don't have the privileges in this home that you had when we were equal. Because now we're not equal. You've hurt me and you're one down to earn your way back means being trustworthy, going to those meetings, doing that work, and not saying to my spouse, oh, do I have to go to another one of those therapy sessions? But just going and being grateful that you can. So anyway, I'm probably ranting, Tammy, but, um, but I do want to encourage people who are being hurt to say, I don't want to be hurt anymore. And whatever that means for me, I might have taken action. I don't want to kick them out, but I don't want to hurt anymore. You know, so... Let, so uh, really well said, but I have to add two things. One is two things that break my heart. One, when a partner calls and she's typically she, but is sharing, you know, how painful all of this is. And then I start giving resources and she says, oh, my husband won't do that. You know, like it's an automatic, oh, my husband won't do that. Today I had somebody who was, oh, addict. Oh, I've hurt my family. I've, I, I'll, I'm willing to do anything. And as soon as I start giving resources, you know what I get? A whole bunch of excuses. I, I shut them down. I said, all I hear are excuses. So, you know, call me in six months or whatever. But it breaks my heart because there's help. There's, there's an opportunity to change. There's an opportunity to be connected on a real and meaningful basis. And people just automatically go to the, oh, no, oh, they won't do that. And it, it, it breaks my heart. So, okay. Well, probably because they've asked them a bunch of times and they've said no, but there's no, you know, and I'll just say this to all of you because it's a, it's a therapy thing. If you tell someone you love that you're leaving, you better leave if something goes bad, because if they go back to their behavior and affairs and you don't leave, you're giving them a very clear message, which is you can do what you want. And what I say doesn't have any meaning. So please don't tell us you're going to leave us unless you are, because all we need to learn is that your word does not have meaning and we will dance around you forever because we know we can, like a child, we can get away with it. You know, I took the cookies out of the cookie jar and mom said, you know, I don't, that wasn't a good idea. 
but doesn't stop me from having cookies for dessert. I didn't learn anything, you know? So anyway, that's okay. a little bit of that. Next question. Is it possible to change a narcissist when they have been like this for many, many years? I don't know, Tammy, have I changed in the 10 years that you've known me? Yes. What's changed about me? Don't say anything mean. No, <laughs> no, I, I think, I mean, so it, first of all, it depends. Everybody, well, not everybody, often people label an addict as a narcissist, an absolutely an act of addiction. You know, we are all narcissists, doesn't matter which form of addiction you're struggling with. So mm-hmm. getting into recovery can change things. But someone who identifies, you know, narcissistic personality disorder or a true narcissist, yeah, I, you know. Rob was talking about going shopping and he's thinking about his husband. Trust me. I didn't know him in active addiction, but I've heard enough of, you know, what of his shares that I'm going like, he didn't probably care about anybody's unless it was, unless there was something in it for you. Unless I was in trouble. (laughs) Well, or yes. So, so then it was something in it for you. Like it was going to get you out of trouble, you know, or you wanted that relationship so therefore you would you know whatever so so if there was an ulterior motive for whatever but when he's just thinking about other people oh i would you know i want to i want to i want to get that shirt for my husband that's very different that's a different place than somebody who is it's just all about me so agree yeah i would say that i will always be a narcissist i will always want the attention i will always think i'm right I will always respond badly to criticism. I will often see you as on my side or not rather than down the middle. So I have traits because number one is genetic. You should have seen my mom. And number two, I mean, she was very self-invested. Nice lady, but very self-invested. Um, and the other thing is the way I was raised. You know, what it would be absolutely impossible for me to not have those traits based on how I was treated as a child. But I know they're not right. So let me tell you where I've gotten to. I have, after 23 years of therapy, I know that I am this way. And I know that I will do things. For example, I might say something mean to someone. I don't mean to be mean. It's just that color looks terrible on them. And I think they should know and they feel insulted. What I have learned is that I can say insulting things to people, but I can also go back and think that wasn't very nice and go back and apologize. Before, I just thought, well, they must have wanted to know that that was an ugly shirt. And why are they upset that I said it? I mean, a therapist said to me once, you know, a lot of the things you say are accurate and useful. It's just that nobody wants to hear them. <laughs> and Tammy likes that. But but the point is, is that I I will not get rid of these traits. The volume has been turned down um, because I've had a lot of losses because of my narcissism. And so I have learned the hard way how to act, how to treat people, but is it gone? Trust me, Tammy, I'll tell you, it's not gone. Um, but I can, if she, if we have a disagreement and she feels I was all, you know, all about me, she can say to me now, you know, I don't think that you considered who in that about this. And I can say, huh, I guess you're right. Before I never would have said that. I would have just said, leave me alone, or that's not what I'm doing, or it's something about them. I can hear it now because I own it now. Is it going to go away? No. Can I learn to treat people differently? Absolutely. And most of all, I can know enough about myself to say, wow, that's not a healthy way of reacting. Let me try to do it differently. And before I just acted. Um, Also, I would say, just to say it, I've worked in the field for 25 years. Narcissists 
the kind that are diagnosed where, you know, you have what they call a narcissistic personality disorder. They're rare. I have only run like sociopaths, um, people, borderlines. They're not that common, but really the, the full on pathology. But people who are wounded will show traits and it's easy to say, oh, they're so this or oh, they're so that. Well, we have traits, but we can work on that. I can tell you that someone who is absolutely narcissistic would have no interest in changing, would have no interest in getting better, would have no interest in trying to heal a relationship because it's not my fault. It's your fault. So yes, we can change. And yes, we can open up our worlds. And no, I don't think narcissist is the worst label in the world. I do think, though, it's we have compassion and empathy to work on. Um, and we can, and we do. So I want to go back to if it's because of addiction, there is great hope. I, I mean, addicts can learn to be very connected and it, it really shifts. We, like Dr. Rob shared earlier, it's we learn to shift in community. We learn to care about what's, uh, what other people are thinking and doing, you know, so if it is a straight narcissistic personality disorder and you didn't just label it because Google doctor told you to, you know, I mean, that re really requires, you know, uh, the right person to diagnose, you know? Um, uh, so I think it really needs to look at what, what's causing it, you know, what does it stem from? So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.